Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day! Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, so today I have five things that, you know what, I I recommend that the state of Texas can do to reduce crime by 30%. Five things. One of those is going to be allow FFL dealers and gun stores to verify if a firearm has been reported stolen. That's something that a lot of people have not addressed. You know, a person walks into a gun store and they want to sell a gun. There's no way for that gun store to verify that that firearm has been reported stolen. And you may think that is crazy. That's, that's absurd. You know, but it is. You know, we just you, we cannot verify that. And that's one thing that the Texas task force can help us with. Number two, uh, when a bond, when someone bonds or bails out of jail, how about we get that information to the National, in- National Instant Criminal background check system so that that person can come up as denied for the background check. They can't get a gun because as a condition of bond, when you bail out of jail, it says you're not supposed to be in possession of any firearms. So you should not be able to purchase a firearm. And that information is supposed to be shared with the the background check system and is not not in all 254 counties in the state of Texas. They're doing this. They're not doing it. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. And that's supposed to happen. The task force can help us with that. Number three, ensure that felony warrants and domestic violence warrants are reported by the Knicks. That's right. So, you know, we had an incident in my store where a guy walked in to buy a rifle, an AR-15. He fills out the background check. It comes back delayed. When it's delayed, he has to wait three business days. So he waited the three business days. He came back that fourth day to pick up the firearm, and then he was able to take it. Well, we found out about a month later after that transaction, this guy had a warrant, a felony warrant for his arrest out of Houston, Texas. Well, you know what? Houston, we have a problem. Number four, prosecute government agencies for not reporting required information to the Knicks. You know what? If if they're not going to do their jobs, then they need to be prosecuted because if me as an FFL dealer, if I was the one that was at fault for trans doing that transaction, transferring a firearm to someone who was not supposed to be in in possession of it, they would have me underneath the jail. So you know what? Let's prosecute the different agencies for not doing their job. Number five, notify local law enforcement when an individual has a warrant and attempts to purchase a firearm. You know what? Here's how how it's supposed to happen. You walk into the gun store, you have a warrant for your arrest. 
what happens is the Knicks, they contact the local law enforcement. That local law enforcement will walk into the gun store and arrest that person right then and there. That's how it's happened. It's happened. I've seen this happen numerous of times. And for some reason, if that information is not put in the Knicks, the system does not work the way it's supposed to work. This is how we can get dangerous people's dangerous people off the street. This is how we can reduce crimes in this state. If we're going to get serious about this, we need to make sure that our system works the way it's supposed to work. We don't need to create new laws. You know, there are no new laws that you can actually create because you cannot regulate crazy. But what we can do is make sure that the system and everything that we have right now works the way it's supposed to. And let's make sure that everyone in that chain and those that little link there, they do their job. But you know what? Let's listen to the governor and what the governor had to say doing his task force. That needs to be transmitted. I can give you a couple of easy examples. Uh, and, and that is, as many people know, the gunman who committed the crime in Southern Springs, he was able to go buy the gun and cleared a background check for the sole reason that information that should have denied him the ability to buy a gun had not been uh, reported appropriately by the United States Air Force. Similarly, it's my understanding uh, that a gunman who was apprehended at Peace Park here in Austin, Texas last week uh, had possession of a gun despite the fact, according to the facts I understand, uh, he had either been arrested for and or convicted for crimes that could have denied him the ability to be able to have a gun. And it's that type of information uh, that occurs all too frequently where the information simply is not shared and disclosed. And so we as a state have to do a better job just with our existing laws uh, to make sure that we are. All right. So that's that's going to be the, the first clip there from the governor. We, he actually he addresses, you know, some of my concerns right there. And that's the you know, the incident that happened here in Austin, Texas, also that happened at Sutherland Springs. You know, those were breaks in the background check system. You know, that guy in Southern Springs were able to get his hands on a gun because the Air Force, the military, didn't send that information to the NICS, the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, to make sure that person was denied from purchasing that firearm. So we got to make sure that everyone in that chain, you do your job. Get the information to the NICS. They're denied. If they try to walk in, you know, to purchase when they're denied, you know what, then we need to do something about that as well. Okay. And now listen to this next clip. From the governor. Texas. They go through a background check. There are a couple of categories of sales or transfers that take place that do not require a background check. One is if, if you sell or give a gun to a family member. Uh, another is if, you, if you're not uh, a federally authorized arms dealer, uh, you may not have to provide a background check if you sell a gun. One stranger can sell a gun to another stranger. Right now, there is nothing in law that would prevent one stranger from selling a gun to a terrorist. Now, see, now I got a little concern here, you know, because now we're talking about regulating firearms from uh, as a private sale. I, I got a problem with that, you know, regulating something from one private person to another. We don't do that with anything else. Why are you going to do that with a firearm? You're starting to regulate private sales from one individual to another. You know what? That that poses a lot of different problems. It poses a problem. Let's say, you know what? Let 
you know, we get this call all the time. Well, someone would tell me, hey, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I was involved in, um, you know, Jim Crow demonstrations, you know, back in the 60s or whatever, the early 70s. And I was convicted of a felony. And because of that, I cannot possess a firearm. You know, I can't purchase it from a gun store. I said, well, you have to get it as a private sale or as a gift. But if you pass universal background checks, which means that you're going to start regulating private sales from one person to another that means that those people who did something 15 years, 20 years ago, been outstanding citizens ever since then, they will never, ever, ever be able to purchase a firearm even at home for personal protection. That means that why are we sending people to jail? Why are we punishing people? Because if you do that, they will never, ever be forgiving for the crime that they've committed and, and they paid their debt to society. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk this is Chloe on Noir, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. Austin's Talk, 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. That's right. We're talking about five things Texas can do to reduce crime by 30%. You know, we need to start, you know, helping out FFL's Federal Firearms licensed dealers, help them to recover those stolen guns. We need to start, you know what, make sure that the information gets put in the nick, it puts in the nicks uh, when someone bonds or bails out of jail. And there's a lot of words in there you got to use. Uh, ensure that, you know, felony warrants are also, that stuff is put in the Knicks. Also, domestic violence, that stuff is put in, in the Knicks as well. And then prosecute government agencies for not reporting that required information. And then also notify local law enforcement when an individual has a warrant and attempts to purchase a firearm. Those are those five things that we can do, and we can reduce crime in the state of Texas by 30%. I promise you that. You know what? And I'm trying to get this information to the governor. I tried to get in on the meeting and say, hey, you know, there's some things that we could tell you as federal firearms licensed dealers, what's happening in the system. You know, some things that you guys are forgetting about that are not being mentioned, not being talked about. And I listened to everything they had to say. I listened to the recap. There's still some things that they're missing, but they're not inviting us to the table so we can talk about this stuff. You know, we don't need to create new laws. There's no need for that. What we need to do is enforce the laws that we have on the books. But you know what, man, you know, what? I, I digress because, you know what, I just saw this story with five elderly men who are 85 and an 85 year old woman were having sex. You know, I think we're doing it all wrong. Yeah, because, you know, the 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 young people are killing each other. You know, you know, you know, we're, we're <laughs> running around killing each other. The old people, let me tell older generation, they're doing it right. Let's just go to the park, have sex. Boy, I'm telling you, l listen, folks, uh, you need to tell your, your grandparents, Zach, I know this is probably your dad, your grand your grandparents. You need to tell them. Why you, you got to bring hey, them into I'm the calling, conversation? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, tell, you, tell them you'll get them a room. Get them a hotel room. No My need parents to have and grandparents in, are doing just fine, Michael. <laughs> no need to have sex in the park. <laughs> yeah, there was a married couple and then four other men involved in this uh, liaison. Having sex in the park. Uh -huh. They're denying it, though. You just had a birthday in March. Aren't these people closer Whoa. to your age than, you know, Zach's parents? Yeah, slow down. people, Michael. <laughs> Maybe you need to be the one getting a room, Michael. Oh, slow down there. Slow down. <laughs> I, I or maybe you, you Felicia. <laughs> oh, 
They're doing it right, I tell you that. Unsubscribe from this conversation. <laughs> Unsubscribe. All right, so, uh, you know, we have some guests inside the studio here because uh, there's something going on around the country, around college campuses, uh, that's called doxing. And I, I've never heard of that before, doxing. So, you know what, Felicia, tell me, what is doxing? I'm going to let people who have actually experienced doxing mm. um, describe it. So I want to introduce them because they have some incredible stories right here out of Austin um, at our wonderful University of Texas. So we have Lily Bonin, who is currently the chairwoman of Young Conservatives of Texas. We have Cameron Lane, who was on the board at College Republicans. Wow, we're bringing both groups together, College Republicans and YCT. It's time for conservatives to unite, and not that, just on UT's campus, but across the country. That means this is serious. Yes. So there is an Antifa group, surprise, called Autonomous Student Network, who was warning college freshmen about what groups they sign up for at um, orientation. And saying that if they signed up for TPUSA or YCT or College Republicans, that they may find their personal information and name and phone number um, in an article or, you know, out there in the world so that people can do with it what they will. And see, and see this to me, this is a problem because this is how you, you influence elections as well. You know, you try to, yeah. you, know, you, you try to find out, you know, what people's political you know, affiliation is, and then you try to influence them and, and you try to threaten them to make sure they vote the way you want them to vote. And we already have a huge issue with college-aged voters going to the polls anyway. So you add on this extra level, and we're going to have a huge problem in 2020. Um, thankfully, the spokesperson from University of Texas did reach out to Attorney General um, Paxton's office nice. to get information on how and what legal remedies there may be. But I haven't heard any follow-up on that. So I'm going to give the mic back to Lily and hear about her story and what's going on. Lily, welcome to Come and Talking. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so it's there's a really interesting thing happening where, yes, there's definitely an issue with um, students and freshmen getting docs. This actually happened to um, a lot of people in our group last year, even freshmen. Um, and you, you would think that it scares people out of wanting to uh, voice their opinions. And that definitely happens as well. I can't tell you how many like private conversations I'll have with people and they'll be like, oh yeah, like I'm conservative or like I lean right, but I don't really want to, uh, like, I'm not going to say that publicly. Like, that's just kind of like my own thing, but there's an entire other group of people that, um, it seems like whenever something big and controversial happens with my organization, we get a surge in membership which would seem weird because you would think that we would have fewer people coming because they'd be scared. But one thing that like, and I especially try to emphasize this because I've been doxxed so many times, um, is that it's, at least for me, it's always worked out pretty well. Like I haven't, I haven't personally seen any huge consequences and it's scary and it's not fun, but I try to really be there for these people that may get doxxed in the future and be like, just kind of show that you have a community and like, okay, so these, like, five people on Twitter are against you, but, like, there's also this entire organization that loves you and will support you, and we have your back. We can tell you our stories and how we worked through it. And so I, I like to think that we, can be, um, that we can be louder than whatever um, doxing is going on. And I think that may be why um, we get more people that want to come because um, they see a community that they can be a part of, and that's really what we try to— so I think that's the best way to com uh, combat the doxing. So. 
All right, then we have someone else in the studio also. Yeah, we have Cameron Lane from College Republicans. So I've seen a lot of college students band together and stand up to this group and kind of stand up to the administration and say, this is not okay. This is our campus. We're paying a crap ton of money to come to school here. Y'all need to get it together. So Cameron, why don't you tell us what College Republicans is doing to uh, support individuals who have been docs and had their personal information leased or uh, leased, released um, in an attempt to have, you know, a negative impact on their schooling or future jobs and um, what people who may be experiencing that but aren't in one of your clubs can do to get in touch with you guys. Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me on. I think above all else, we kind of provide a pretty strong social network for the people who are kind of on, you know, right of center, but it's also a big tent party where you don't really have to be, you know, politically conservative. You can be politically moderate or even left of center and just happen to be at one of these events where there's a conservative speaker there and just someone in the crowd will take a picture of you and use that. There's like a handful of people that dedicate their free time to this, go through and like use that picture, reverse Google search, find you on Facebook, find your friends, and just post all your data online. And uh, College Republicans, you know, when we have these gatherings and stuff, and it's the same with YCT, it's kind of a place where you can all get together and say, hey, you know, these are people that um, think like me, also don't think like me, but we all kind of know that we're going through the same situation together and we all kind of share that risk. So you have someone to talk to about it. Uh, a friend of mine who got doxxed, I think he was probably harassed the most directly. He got about 15 calls over the course of a day from random numbers across the state of Texas. And um, we were just hanging out in my apartment, just taking these phone calls and just chatting up the people that would... Uh, you know, kind of threatened him and stuff, but it, you know, made him feel more comfortable having me there with him and another friend as well, kind of being there like, you know, hey, this isn't that serious. We're here with you. Um, but my personal experience as well with college Republicans was I kind of got pushed into it after I got doxxed my freshman year. Uh, and that was at, I think, the inauguration. I was out wearing uh, a college Republicans or some sort of Republican shirt out at an anti-Trump rally that was held right in the center of campus. And some guy just came up and stuck a video camera in my face and started yelling at me and said, hey, welcome to the internet guy. And uh, found out like a week later from one of my friends who's actually in one of these far left groups, uh, came to find out then that, you know, that video had been posted online. They found my Facebook and everything. And I was just like, hey, I was talking to my friends about it. And they were like, yeah, actually it happened to another guy. And, you know, we kind of got together about it. Turns out um, a friend of mine reported it to the APD and they actually had the website shut down about like two months later for unlawful harassment or something along those lines. So there have been some like legal avenues, I believe, to actually combat that directly, but really just at College Republicans, and I believe at YCT, you provide that strong social network of people who, you know, are going through something similar, and we kind of get a little sort of strength by being together and going through the same things. Yeah, because some of that stuff can be like terroristic threats and stuff like that, so that could be some serious crimes, you know, and I'll tell you, you know, what happened to us a little later, uh, but, um, you know, Yeah, um, so kind of in the light of what you said about terroristic threats, one of, we, we do get some really interesting stuff on social media, but, um, one thing to remember, and this isn't to say that these groups can't be violent, because as we've seen in the media just over the summer even, um, they're certainly violent individuals. And we haven't seen that as much in Austin, luckily. But I wanted to address some like the, the legal issues, because I remember especially the first time I got docs, I was like, oh, no, my life is over. Because um, like I hadn't been through it before. I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, and so I was like, like, what are my like, legal options? I was like, like, what do I need to do? Um, and criminally like there's not a whole lot that can be done um they would have to be making a very like very specific kinds of threats including very specific kinds of information and even then the case is like a maybe the best um avenues are just getting it taken down like um i can't tell you how many of their little antifa twitter accounts have gotten uh shut down uh it seems like they're making a new one every other month 
Um, so there's just getting the stuff taken down. Um, and then there's always the option of maybe pursuing it in like a civil case. But um, even that, like, it's, it's hard to prosecute because I've, I've talked to UTPD about this because um, a lot of um, members have been concerned about it before. There's just not that a lot, not a lot you can do legally um, with this. I think that's where Michael comes in because it is a question now of personal safety. You know, you have to make sure that you have your safety and in your own hands. And so maybe you guys should do a joint event and everyone get their license to carry or at least take a gun safety course. Um, maybe look into doing um, like we can do uh, it. Per, like, like a personal, like a reduce a reduced yeah. price. You know pretty much down to cost, you know, for a life to carry handgun course. And that would definitely send a message back to those people. Yeah. I mean, and when we were younger, we always had the buddy system, but it sounds like you guys may need to implement that again. One, Austin is, has been insane over the summer and I don't anticipate that it's going to get any better just because school's in session now, but we really have to make sure that we take our personal safety in our own hands and we're prepared just in case anything does happen. Um, I know that we were talking about that earlier and, um, any suggestions to any freshmen who might be listening? You know, what's going on? I'd say come find us more than anything else. Yeah, just find a group of people because you can be yourself. You can voice your opinions. Um, like, we want you to do that. And, like, I can tell you from personal experience and we know all these other people that can tell you the exact same thing that you'll be f- you'll be fine. You'll be taken care of. All right, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about that and also those five things Texas can do to reduce crime by 30%. This is Michael Cargill and you are listening to Come Talk. Peace, this is Maj Touré. You're listening to Come and Talk at Radio with Michael Cargill. Austin's Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. That's right. We're trying to send a message to our, our leadership here in the state of Texas. Let them know that, you know, there are some things that we can do to strengthen our, our background check system and by actually, you know, protecting the process, you know, and actually making sure that everything actually works in, in the steps and make sure that a person cannot get, their, cannot get their hands on the gun if they're not supposed to. All right, so we're talking, you know, there's some five things that you can do to reduce crime by 30%. Uh, I'll mention those things here in a the, in the second, but, you know, when I want to go back to, we had something that happened at our, our shop uh, this week at Central Texas Gunworks where a guy, he, he actually came into the parking lot And he tried to go into the restaurant and take a beer into the restaurant. And of course, they wouldn't let him do that. And then because he because they, you know, refused him from walking in from outside with a beer, he got really upset and decided to threaten people. He decided to, you know, make terrorist threats, such as saying, you know what, you kill them. He hated this person. He hated that person. He used a lot of words that I cannot use on the radio. And he said that he was going to he wanted to, you know, cut their kids' throats, you know, kill them, and all kinds of things. You know, and this this is the, you know, the area in which we live. You know, this is Austin now. This is the Austin where we have to deal with these things. And unfortunately, our law enforcement are understaffed. There are, you know, not enough APD officers around because it took an hour and a half for the officers to respond to that call. Hour and a half. 
you know, we had the different businesses. What they had to do was lock their doors and shut down because this guy was out in the parking lot making threats to people. Ladies were afraid to walk from the business to their cars, you know, and, and, and that's really not something that we should settle with. But unfortunately, that's where we are today. So it, it's, it's a time, like Felicia said, we're going to have to take our own personal safety in our own hands and take those steps to protect yourself, protect your family, because now, you know, it's an hour and a half wait because our city council, um, our, you know, our, our mayor, you know, has actually criminalized this stuff or decriminalized it, I should say. And that's where we, where we are today, unfortunately. Now, another clip, because this guy was just crazy. Um, over in Houston, Texas, I want to talk about what they're doing in Houston. What were they doing in Houston there? Uh, yeah, the mayor is trying to circumvent state law and get gun control passed in the city. Really? And so you, you can't do that because, you know, your local uh, cities and municipalities cannot come up with stricter laws than what the state you know, already has. So we actually have preemptive laws. So that means that, you know, your city, you know, your county cannot create gun laws because that's up to the state legislature to do that. Yeah, it's kind of worrying that he's just trying to get around these to implement more gun control. If Mayor Turner was intelligent, he would look at the financial repercussions that that would have for Houston and Harris County. I'm from there, and it has some of the biggest gun shows in the state, including at the George R. Brown Convention Center, which for the record is where we're holding the Republican Party of Texas convention next year. So it is a huge space, and that is a huge amount of financial of revenue that would be coming into the, into the city. And for someone who last week was complaining about how he doesn't have enough money, he should really sit down and hush and have a quick chat with his economist because this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It's just going to drive revenue out of Houston. People are going to go get their guns in Austin or Beaumont or Pasadena and give the money to someone else. Even the city of Austin is talking about this. They're talking about a commission. Uh, they're and trying to put together on, you know, you know, on doing something. And we have a video clip of that as well. Uh, take a listen to this. Austin City Council waived creating a task force on gun violence during this week's meeting, staying on top of the issue locally. In the absence of state and federal action, we have to do everything we can here in Austin to end gun violence. According to Councilmember Allison Alter's resolution, the 11-member task force would make recommendations for enhancing safe storage education and gun surrender programs. The resolution would also create new reporting procedures for gun violence data. The reality is that there's so much gun violence that doesn't make the headlines. That's about domestic violence. That's about suicide. Councilmember Natasha Harper-Madison said she wants to make sure the city is paying the closest possible attention to this issue, but she did have some questions and concerns. Something I hear often is, uh, why do we have so many commissions? Why do we have so many task forces? Why do we so frequently hire um, consultants? She told the council she was having a hard time answering those questions when it came to this task force. I just want to make certain that we don't put ourselves in a position to where um, we create a task force that can't produce actionable items. Second Amendment advocate Michael Cargill has some of those same concerns about the concept of a city task force. Do they even accomplish anything? Are we just going to talk about something or are we actually going to get something done? Uh, yeah, it's exhausting. Having said that, Cargill says he'd be happy to bring his expertise to the 11-member group. He's hoping Councilmember Harper-Madison would appoint him. 
I'm in District 1. I'm a federal firearms license dealer. I'm the, you know, the great resource for them if they want to know some of the gun laws, they want to know some of the leaks in the system and all that stuff. So why is a local approach important? Houston did this recently and they were able to identify things like gun thefts at sporting events as a major way that guns were changing hands in Houston. If you can identify a problem that directly, then you can tackle it at the local level. Alter says the task force doesn't replace... And so, you know, that's, that's what they're trying to do in Austin. And we don't need another task force. You don't need the city government trying to come up with anything because they really don't have that authority. What the city of Austin needs to do is they need to focus on the homeless situation. You know, that is the, the problem that we have here in this city. And those are the things that they can actually do. They have the power to control and to fix. You know, let's do something about this homeless shelter. Let's do something about what's happening around University of Texas with the homeless there. You know, it, you guys are students. Uh, you know, what's the atmosphere like when you're, you know, walking from West Campus to the campus? So I actually lived right on 26th Street last year, and um, I actually I moved further into West Campus away from Guad, almost explicitly for that reason. Um, there were homeless people, like there's just those benches on the sidewalk. Uh, they would camp outside of my apartment complex just about every night. They were there, and if they weren't there, it was across the street. I um, to save some money, I parked in a parking garage that was across the street, and. There were some times that like, I would circle around the block a few times and maybe even go somewhere else. Like, one time I went to go wait at a Starbucks for an hour and a half because there was this like, aggressive homeless person um, directly on the sidewalk between where I would go from my car to my apartment. Um, it's something that affected how I got around West Campus just about every single day that I was living there. And so what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'd say I'm a little bit more fortunate, right? Like I'm pretty decently built, you know, I'm a little bit athletic, so I'm not too intimidated by it, but every once in a while you'll run into someone who... Uh, you like, bring it, I got, really, I got yeah. something for you. Yeah, or, I, or I got speed on my side. <laughs> I, I don't quite know. have that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, every once in a while um, we'll get reports that, you know, someone was harassed, we'll get it from the UTPD that sends out a, a text to all the students, and they'll say, hey, someone was harassed on West Campus, um, don't know who it was. Sometimes it does seem like those are getting more frequent, doesn't it? Yeah, it is somewhat more yeah. frequent. Um, I would say it hasn't really affected me too much, but every once in a while, you know, you'll see someone walking across the street, you know, they might be on drugs or something, and just be you know days from being up all night living on the street and they'll just start shouting stuff at people and it'll be a little bit disconcerting and i wouldn't say it makes me feel a little bit too much like less safe but i can definitely see how it can affect a lot of other people uh, a lot more negatively especially if they are intimidated by that but for me it's just i'll be stopped on the street people ask me for money sometimes just sometimes i'll just try to strike up a conversation but overall i can see how sometimes it can get in people's way which mm. again could be why it is important to uh do everything you can to protect yourself and be able to protect yourself um including carrying. So. Now, are they, uh, let's see, is the university, University of Texas, doing anything to help the students out with this problem, with the homeless? You know, are they giving you yeah. guys any advice or anything like that? What, are, what well, are you hearing from them? I remember a couple of years ago, actually, was when they first conducted, um, there was like a safety study done of West Campus. Of course, um, very tragically, there was that one UT student that um, was murdered. And that spurred a lot of action, which is unfortunate that that had to happen. Um, but that was years ago. That was before um, these new ordinances that Dawson City Council passed this summer. Um, which now is going to get worse. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine that. I know that they've looked into um, lighting as one of the main things they're trying to fix in West Campus because there are some entire blocks that are quite dark. Um, and then also they have been ramping up their um, 
and like these sure walk and sure ride programs, um, which I have utilized many times. Um, and so I do think that they're doing something, um, but I think there's probably a better way to address the root of the problem instead of having to take all these extra measures. Yeah, because adding the lights, you, that way you can see the mugger when he comes to you. Yeah, hopefully someone wouldn't have to die for them to do something about it. Right. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think uh, they've done a pretty good job. I remember the first time I came, my mom commented, "There's, you know, there's not many police out here for university." But since then, I think they've uh, ramped up patrols. Um, every once in a while, we see someone wander on campus. I lived on campus for two years, and the police would almost immediately escort them off. Uh, they added those blue light buttons. That's like an immediate line to nine one one, and they'll send a police officer right to your location. Uh, so that I think generally creates a pretty safe atmosphere on campus. Uh, really, the biggest thing is on Guad and West Campus, where you know it's more free reign. People can go wherever, and there are some pretty sketchy areas like alleyways that uh, you know can be pretty intimidating. And especially if you see some people back there, and that's kind of on your way home, you got to take a, another route and circumvent that. Well, and a lot of it can just be solved with lighting, like you said. If they're if they know that you can see them, and like pretty basic safety measures can keep you safe. So okay, and then uh, YCT, uh, when is your next meeting? Um, our next meeting is Wednesday, September 4th, and we will be having the wonderful Michael Cargill there as one of our speakers. <laughs> and also Rachel Malone, right? And Rachel Malone That's from right. Gun Owners of America. So we're going to be talking a lot about guns in the Second Amendment. Um, and it's open to um, get a lovely free speech bill that passed. So UT is now a traditional public forum, um, whether they like it or not. And <laughs> so anyone is welcome to come. Awesome. And then calls Republicans? I believe it's Monday, September 2nd uh, at 7.30. It's on campus. Uh, you might have to check me on that. It's on Facebook. Um, but, yeah. it's So it's, it's different beginning. nights then. Yep. So that's good. Okay. All right. Awesome. And, man, you know what? There's a, <laughs> there's a story, and we come back from the break. Uh, the store clerk, you know, and he's – I forget. I don't know what, what city this is, and we're going to pull this up. But you know what? He was being robbed. So he got into a little fight with the robber, and the only thing he had on him with a, was a rope. So he got the best of the robber. He hog tied the the robber, and let me tell you, and the police came and got him. That's that's when, and he was from West Texas. That's how we do it in Texas. That's the Is most there a Texan video? That's right. He was, I believe, it was up in Dallas. He was up in Dallas, and and that's where that happened. Uh, when we come back from the break, going to talk about that, <laughs> break that down, and we're going to close out this show. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk. Hello, this is Gerald Darty, and I'm the Precinct 3 County Commissioner here in Travis County, and you're listening to Come and Talk It. Talk 1370, the right choice. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. That's right. We're talking about the five things that Texas can do to reduce crime by 30%. Uh, you know what? Number one, you need to allow FFL, FFL dealers, gun stores, to verify if a firearm has been reported stolen. Also, when a bond or bail has been issued, you need to make sure that information gets to the Knicks. Ensure that felony warrants and domestic violence warrants are reported to the Knicks. Also, prosecute government agencies for not reporting required information to the NICS. And then notify local law enforcement when an individual has a warrant or attempts to purchase a firearm. You got a warrant. You're trying to buy a gun. You need to notify local law enforcement because we got a problem. Houston, we have a problem. Speaking, speaking of that problem, uh, check out this video from Pease Park uh, from a, 
you know, what happened in Peace Park. Guy tried to walk in the Central Texas Gunworks and buy a gun. Take a look at this. Charges may have to be dropped against the man who was found at Peace Park last week with several weapons. Records indicate an outstanding felony warrant for Dalton Broche didn't immediately show up during the background check. Broche bought an, Air, an AR-15 at Central Texas Gunworks in late June. Store records indicate federal clearance was given for Broche to take the rifle, even though the review was still being done. Store owner Michael Cargill says he was not made aware of an outstanding warrant for Broche involving an alleged attack on a family member in Harris County. It is unclear why that warrant did not show up in the background check and trigger an immediate denial. Cargill believes the case should be part of the review being done by Governor Abbott's new gun task force. Bring in, you know, federal firearms licensed dealers, bring in uh, some DAs, uh, people that actually are familiar with the system and how things work, so we can really do something about the system and make the system work the way it's supposed to work. Cargill says Broche took a handgun class at his store in June and state records show a permit has been mailed to Broche. Having that license to carry could result in charges being dropped in connection to the weapons he had at Peace Park. Austin police did not respond to our request for a comment. All right. So, you know, let's break that down a little bit. So this guy goes to the park. Well, he, he buys a gun, you know, wasn't supposed to with the System didn't work like it was supposed to, so he was able to buy a gun. He passed a background check. Um, he then goes to a park about 30 days later. He has a handgun. He has a club. He has a, an AR-15. And somehow police were called, so he hid the AR-15 in the bushes. Now, when you think about that, so they, the police approached him uh, because he had a club on him. The club gives them the right to, hey, you have a... You know, you're unlawfully carrying a weapon, so we have a right to now detain you, arrest you, and now we're going to search you. So now they search him. They find a handgun on him. Now, what people didn't know at the time is this guy took our license to carry handgun course, and he turned in his paperwork. Well, part of the system, the part that was dropped, this guy was able to get a license to carry handgun. He passed a background check by the Texas Department of Public Safety. They mailed him his handgun license. So now, since they mailed him his handgun license... He has a handgun on him. That means he's not committing the crime with that handgun. The fact that he had a handgun license means that now he can have the club because you have the gun. You can have the club, even though we know starting September 1st, 2019, clubs are going to be legal in Texas. But this is before that. So what you're telling me is Mayor Turner wants to implement his own version of gun laws, but can't even get his city in line enough to back up their system with who does and does not have a warrant. Houston, we have a problem. We have a really big problem, and it starts with uh, Mayor Turner. That's right. <laughs> they can't handle, you know, the things they're supposed to do on their end, and they want more responsibility. There should be a story coming out of Houston in the next week or so about the fact that they are refusing to buy new trucks for some of their people in Houston. We can talk about it a little bit more off air because it's going to be an exclusive. Mm. But about how their their city trucks have no AC, no AC, they're not being properly maintained, and some of these trucks are almost 20 years old and they're not being maintained. Oh. So the first question is, where's the money going that is supposed to be buying new trucks, and why are we putting our city employees at, this, uh, at, at these unnecessary risks? So there's a huge amount of problems in Houston, and he should not be worrying about gun control. It's kind of one of those situations where you need to get your own house in order before you come in off, 
before you come after the rest of us. Yeah, what he's trying to do, he's trying to grandstand a little bit. He's used this as an excuse to try to win, win re-election. Well, as everyone knows, the solution to issues with the government is more government, right? <laughs> no, right? Exactly. <laughs> not going to happen. Not on our watch. I'm telling you, we're going to shut that down. Now, check this out. Out of Dallas? Yeah, in Dallas, a guy tried to rob a 7-Eleven with a screwdriver. Oh, um, he, how well did that end? Uh, didn't end well for him. He uh, He got a few jabs in at the clerk, but the clerk was a West Texas boy. From and West he Texas. had some rope on him. He hogtied this guy. Hogtied. Called the cops, and uh, yeah, the cops came, and he tied him up so screwed. tight. So he did it right. <laughs> he did it right. Yeah, he tied him up so tight, the police had to cut the rope off of him. Wow. That's crazy. Uh-huh. <laughs> West Texas, that's what I'm talking about. Say, hey, I don't, have a, I don't have anything on me. I just got a rope. You know, we're going to handle this situation right here and now. <laughs> that's got how you do done. it. That's how you do it. Get her done. <laughs> all right, so, all right. West Texas. Boy, I tell you, unreal. All right, so let's go back to you one more time. Um, college Republicans, when you guys meet again? September 2nd, I believe it's the first Monday of September. All right. Who you guys, you know who you're going to have? Uh, it's just going to be a meeting for the people to get together and let them know what we're doing over the course of the semester. Putting some pressure on you. You don't know yeah, who you're going to have. So your second meeting, who you going to have? Our second meeting, we'll have to see. I, we tend to avoid like lectures because you know, as students, we tend to have more than enough. But I'm a vampire. I'm like, who are you going to have for your second meeting? <laughs> yep. All right. All right. Awesome. All right. And then uh, YCT. Uh, we're meeting Wednesday, September 4th at 6.30 p.m. with Michael Cargill and Rachel Malone um, in the Geosciences Building at UT. Nice. All right. Awesome. You know, I, I hope we're able to, you know, get a message to the governor. I hope we're able to get a message to the city of Austin. Uh, the city of Austin, one, you know, please focus on the homeless situation. That is the problem that we're having in this town. Uh, this problem, you know, school starts now. School is in. in. You know, uh, UT starts when? Is Wednesday. Our, Wednesday. Okay, UT starts on Wednesday. Uh, the majority of your, you know, I guess all the independent school districts have already gone back to school now. So we, we have to deal with this situation because it's actually growing. It's a growing problem. This problem that we have on Ben White between I-35 and Lamar has only been there since a year. And this problem gets worse every week and it's growing. What we're having and, and, and we're not I'm not trying to be harsh. You know, I, I'm not trying to beat up uh, homeless or anything like that. We need to do something with this situation. Uh, but I don't know if what we're doing, we're on the right track. We can be sympathetic to the situation of the homeless individuals in Austin, but also proponents of personal and public safety. You know, we were talking earlier about how UT was adding lighting to protect campus. But yesterday, in broad daylight, a woman was chased and harassed by a homeless person. And Mm. she actually had to run in to a building across the street from mine for safety because she knew there was a security guard in there. We have to take the public safety of Austin citizens and taxpayers, hint, hint, Mayor Adler, into consideration. And we need to find a solution because what's happening right now is just not okay. Well, and the other thing is this policy is being pushed as something that is compassionate for for homeless individuals. And it's we're not even helping them. What are we doing for them other than further entrench them in this homeless community instead of helping them get back out? There's a lot better better ways that the UT or not UT that Austin could be spending their resources to actually be compassionate instead of just trying to normalize that and make that like 
a normal part of the community. Yeah, and there are a lot of programs across the city of Austin, I think, that do a great job of supporting that homeless population and try to get them transitioned into, you know, more normal lifestyle. Austin Arch is a great example. Uh, one of my fraternity brothers raised a lot of money for it, and they do a great job of trying to provide uh, homeless people for resources to find their own housing, to get jobs, contact family members, and whatnot. But, you know, in the meantime, when it comes to public safety and self-defense especially, you know, homeless people aren't all bad, but, you know, it tends to be sometimes that they can harass people and put people in danger. And I always say what my grandparents used to say, you can't take the evil out of the world. The best you can do is prepare yourself against it, right? And so that's where it comes down to the Second Amendment, um, you know, especially between people who have a giant size difference, right? You might be a little old lady walking down the street and some guy who's, you know, former Navy SEAL or something comes up to you. There's nothing that makes you equal. And, you know, my grandfather used to say, uh, God created men, but Sam Colt made them equal. So, you know, yeah, you can, there's ways to defend yourselves, and the Second Amendment is a great way to do it. All right, I'm looking for an instructor. Better watch out there now. All right, so let's listen to the governor. He had uh, one more thing to say here. Check out what the governor had to say. Valid gun arms dealers uh, to make sure they do more to keep their guns safe. There have been reports about guns being stolen from licensed uh, gun dealers, and those guns sometimes are used to commit crimes. No one wants that to happen. Uh, but also separate from that, there are guns stolen out of cars or other types of situations uh, that can be used in crimes. And so uh, we have uh, a, a need to uh, come up with strategies uh, that will help us reduce uh, the number of stolen guns that sometimes wind up being used for crime. Well, you know what? You know, and, and like I said, you got to watch out because now we're talking about doing something with universal background checks. We're talking about regulating private sales. Stay tuned, people. You know, you get ready for the Texas legislature in 2021 because there are going to be some things that you're going to see that you're not going to like. And we're going to be on the defense. This last session, we had to fight the entire session. There are more anti-gun bills than we ever seen in Texas legislature as, as far back as I can ever remember. I don't think there ever ever been that many anti-gun bills. Something tells me that in 2021, we're going to have twice as many. Get ready. Get ready. Stand up. Stand strong. We're going to have to fight. All right, Governor. We throw, we're throwing it in your hands now. We need some help here. We need help in Austin. need help with the leadership in, in these different cities when they're trying to come up with you know, different gun laws. We need you to stand strong as our governor, as our leader. As always, more guns equals less crime. You go out there and you buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cardio. I'll take my life, my liberty, my pursuit of happiness, just let me be. I'll take my guns, my home on the range, I'll take my Bible, you can keep your change. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 